This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut. Every Wednesday, you'll be chilling with me and my guests, who are some of the quirkiest, geekiest people we can find on the internet about how they do money and life. Sit back, relax. We are a few days away from the weekend. Welcome to Chill Swift TFC. A strong reason why I decided to come out, right, um, is precisely because. I've gone through that phase. I felt safe and secure enough to step up and represent because there's uh, very few positive representation for our community in, in Singapore, right? So I don't want people to keep thinking that, oh, gay people are the same. They live a certain lifestyle. But actually, I'm, I'm just pretty much like your girl next door, right? Hey Coconuts, today we are live at Ping Dot. Yes, uh, Ping Dot 15. We are over there to talk to some of the community members to kind of find out like what are the financial challenges that the LGBTQ community struggles with in Singapore. And you know, we recorded live at a place. It was so cool. So many things happening, but yeah, it affects a bit of our audio quality, lah. Huh? So don't mind today's episode. It's not in the pink of its audio quality, but there are a lot of insights, and I was very happy to be doing this with Elias, Editor-in-Chief at Rice Media, together with William and Jiepin, both financial consultants with pride and think they are Singapore's first LGBTQ-focused financial consultancy group. So yeah, this is Chill Swift TFC. Okay, welcome to the Financial Coconut Live at Ping Dot together with Rice Media. So yeah, we are here finally, right? After so many years, right? Today is the 15th anniversary of Ping Dot. So me, uh, I'm Reggie, aka your Chief Financial Coconut, and I'm joined with... Ilya Sholihin, uh, Editor-in-Chief for Rice Media. And I'm joined together, uh, very honoured to have uh, these guests. Hi, uh, I'm Siapin. I'm, uh, I'm the Lead uh, Financial Services at uh, Pryden. And I'm William. I'm one of the co-founder of Pryden, and I speak mostly about housing policies and issues regarding LGBTQ+. So what is Bryden? Like, what's so, what's so interesting about Bryden? So basically, we are a collective of uh, professionals, either in the housing uh, agent representative or legal. And also some of us are actually our financial advisors. Uh-huh. We came together kind of about two years ago during the COVID period because we are kind of thinking about, you know, what are the things that we can do to serve the community. And we realized that in the market right now, you know, during that period of time, there wasn't a lot of information and resources given to the queer community in educating them about financial issues, about battling themselves and becoming a more financial independent. Mm. And together with that comes with issues like, you know, buying housing, your insurance planning, your investment, and even your estate planning issues. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that brought us together when we formed Pryden. Okay, fair. So fundamentally, you assume that there is a difference between the heteronormative couple and uh, LGBTQ community, right? In terms of the way of life, the planning that needs to go involved in it and Definitely. The, the, the whole the whole spiel uh, around it, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, the answer is, is yes. I would say that our society here in Singapore is structured in a way that kind of puts us in a disadvantaged uh, position. Like, I mean, even until like just last year, just, just being gay itself is illegal, right? So... Yeah, definitely, it's, it's different. Mm. 
maybe something that I would like to know is uh, like maybe a little bit of your like personal uh, experiences uh, in maybe being like of uh, from the LGBT community and also being in the financial services community. Like, are there any like personal experiences that kind of like push you into like we should do something that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think. Basically, for myself, speaking as a gay person myself, currently I'm already near 50 years old. No right? lah, 35 so I, have, <laughs> I have already passed through a couple of hey, property don't like that, cycles. Don't like that. I can do. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. You're very nice. Okay, okay. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. So when I was 35 years old, uh, you know, just like any other uh, Singaporeans, right? You know, the hurdle for us is to cross the first 35 years old before you can buy your first HDB flat. Because not a lot of people are able to afford to buy a private property, to be honest, especially in today's environment. So when I I was trying to buy my first flat, you know, I didn't have all this advice given to me. So I made mistakes during that time. Uh, I didn't know what to do and, you know, uh, I bought a three-room flat. But luckily enough, you know... Um, Where was it? I bought a three-room flat in Ferrer Park. So, you know, I realized that, you know, maybe after living there for five years, you know, I was... I had a boyfriend and, you know, our needs started to change and I realized that actually the flat wasn't good enough and we have to upgrade. So I move into another property, you know, and I bought a four-room flat. So I'm currently residing around Tiong Bahru area. So, Fancy, yeah, Tiong Bahru, bicycle to work, you know, all. I know, right? Yeah, 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 it's yeah, a yeah. very queer uh, oh. neighborhood. Oh, is it? Okay, okay, okay. Is it the, the new BTO flats or is it the old, very no, old? No, not the old Tiong Bahru market one. I love that. Yes, I love Tiong I actually uh, bought into a BTO flats behind because uh, for some strategic reason as well. But I think these are things that I learned along the way. And when I started, you know, doing Pride I started panning down all these thoughts and things that I learned because before that I wasn't a real estate agent but I learned along the way and started putting together a lot of all these formulas and, and strategies together to help the, the queer communities. Nice, nice. So you were saying about like mistakes like you know uh, but what, what what is a mistake? Like why is three room flat? Because I think that there was a little bit of a part of the story where you say you know oh three room flat luckily I managed to Blah, yeah, blah, I think the, why is the thing is not just mistake, but also the challenges that we have as, as queer people trying to buy a property. Because a lot of people will just think that, okay, you know, you just buy a flat, coming into a flat and think that is a forever home. And I meet a lot of uh, LGBT youngsters these days telling me that, oh, I'm, I want to buy a flat. And when I bought a flat, I thought this is going to be my forever home as well. But it's only, you know, a couple of years down the road, you realize that your financial situation change, your career and lifestyle changes you realize that you actually need to progress. You can't just think that, you know, buying a flat at 35 years is going to last you until you pass away. You know, it's a, a good 50 or 60 years away from you. But that's not unique to LGBTQ community, right? Like, I think even the heteronormative couple also have this, like, oh, you know, let's just, let's just get a flat forever home. This idea, right? It's not unique in that but sense, right? I think they have a lot more... Um, as, when it comes to think, is it? Yeah, FNC. with a hetero couple, there's a lot more life planning ahead. For a LGBT person, you know, we just live our life. We don't have very clear milestones in life. And I think Jepin will, will agree with me. There is clear milestones in life. You have a married, you have children. A lot of people move houses because of children. They need to get near to a primary school for children. They move. They will think about uh, structuring their property in such a way that they buy two property later on in life. But for a lot of good, good people, they just think, okay, you know, I just need a flat one. Mm. But they don't know how to make their flat work for them. I think the the purpose is probably different. As with like every individual, it'll be quite different. But I think for the LGBTQ plus community, right? Like when when William spoke about milestones, yeah, I think uh, the milestones that we go through compared to a heteronormative person is really very different. I say that probably like a gay person in Singapore, I probably spend 
uh, a good 10 years of my life like struggling with my own sexuality. Mm. So that's like um, a milestone that I have to go through that like a straight person doesn't have to go through. You know, like when do I come out to my parents? Who do I come out to at work with my friends? I have to selectively like do this. It's, it was kind of like a process for me. A strong reason why I decided to come out right um, is precisely because I've gone through that phase. I felt safe and secure enough to step up and represent because there's uh, very few positive representation for our community in, in Singapore, right? So I don't want people to keep thinking that, oh, gay people are the same. They live a certain lifestyle. But actually, I'm, I'm just pretty much like your girl next door, right? Yeah, so for me, I recognize that I have that privilege where, you know, my friends are acceptive, but I'm self-employed. So my work, it doesn't really have that glass ceiling. If I get to emphasize, actually, it was a bit of a conscious choice to go self-employed, right? Rather than have a boss. And then with my parents, eventually I came out to them. Um, they were disappointed at the beginning. In fact, my mom told me that, you know, don't live together with us, with your partner, because my partner is foreigner, lah. But I felt safe enough and secure enough to, you know, be there to represent the community. And because of my work, the best angle that I can come in is to, you know, share what I know from my work, like how to plan properly financially as an LGBTQ plus person. Because unfortunately, like such information um, is not readily available. Uh, I have to thank William uh, for setting up Pryden because it, it gave a perfect uh, platform for LGBTQ plus individuals to access. Um, so then they can get more information on, you know, how to navigate life, mm. at least, at the very least in a financial aspect, la, which I think in the context of Singapore, <sighs> I'm sorry, because okay, there's that whole intersectionality thing, right? And well, if big words, you, huh? today a lot of big yeah. words, intersection, <laughs> I, I roll eyes and I hear this word, but yeah, yes, but, please go. But the thing is, once you can get past like your survival stage, right, then that's when you have to start planning financially, right? And I would say like being in Singapore, that's a huge, huge, huge thing. Like, once you have the financial means, you'll be able to overcome a lot of obstacles. Yeah. Okay, can, you, can you help us understand a little bit, right? As a member of the LGBTQ community, like how is it so different from a financial planning aspect. I mean, I, I understand the kind of like, oh, 10 years, you struggle with your identity and all that, but, but how does that then translate to the difference in how the community should look at their finances and think about it? How are the milestones different then? Oh, the very first thing is that what are the milestones in life, right? For me, it's a very conscious decision. You know what I want to achieve in life. And then typically we look at, okay, what, what we want to do. Maybe if we have a partner, then what do we want to plan with our partners? And then uh, like career-wise, what do I want to do? When do I want to retire? Even that word retirement, right? It's quite scary for the community. Because it's like, when people retire, they, they have like a partner, they, they travel overseas or something, they have grandchildren to play with. That, that sort of stuff, right? Oh, I look after my grandkids. But for us, it's like, how does retirement look like? It's such a, like, like far away It's, it's so very thing. far yeah, away. Yeah, that a lot of us just being in the moment when you're, when you're still struggling with other issues, it's something that I would say our community does neglect a bit. Lah. So maybe you don't allocate um, the right amount of resources into planning for your retirement. Okay, one thing that I like to kind of get the community excited over is that, you know, in the future, who knows, maybe we can have like a gay retirement house. You know, if you're alone <laughs> I, I by yourself, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, 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 you, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can work towards that, right? There's still something to look forward to save up for, rather than just, you know, not knowing what's going to happen in the future. So uh, that's one thing. And now along the way, um, having children, that's a very conscious uh, thing to, to decide. Like, it's very purposeful. Unfortunately, because of the change in adoption laws, right, it'll probably be very difficult for uh, 
two men to have children. Yeah, because they can only adopt with the changes in, in the Adoption Act. What has changed actually? Can you share with us? So basically, they explicitly said that only straight couples can adopt. So if you're like same-sex couple, right, you cannot adopt. And then uh, as an individual, although men as a single person can adopt, they can only adopt uh, girls. But then now if they change, they tighten the act to say that, okay, before you can even adopt, right, they're gonna like do like a thorough check to make sure that this person is fit to be a parent to their child. So of course, in a way, right, it's a bit subjective whether you're a fit parent or not. So that already makes it a lot more difficult mm. for uh, like a single male person to adopt a child. Maybe I want to speak a little bit because Rice Media actually did a story on uh, the story of Collie and Ching. So these are two lesbian couple who was trying to like raise a family in Singapore. And it kind of like goes against like whatever society thinks of like gay couples in Singapore, right? Like they ruin families and all that. But here are these two like gorgeous women trying to like raise like a family in Singapore with like biological child and everything. But the thing is, the system is just not really like allowing that for them to have like that, that nice family. And they are just like not very flexible on the family unit kind of things. Lah. So the thing I guess I wanted to ask is like, whether like on the housing part, does it really affect like a lot of the LGBT community in terms of like trying to raise a family or maybe under the personal savings kind of side? Because from what we've interviewed with like uh, Ching, it's like because they have the privilege to actually like raise a family in Singapore because both of them are kind of like have a good independent career in Singapore. Does this kind of like change the dynamics for like the other um, lower income groups that kind of stuff? Yeah. I think the very first thing, right, is once you have the child, the child is going to be an illegitimate child. So the very first step is you need to adopt your own child, your own biological child. This is IVF, the, the whole surrogacy, IVF thing. Ah, is yeah, okay, correct. Okay. So yeah, even though basically the child went through your birth canal, you still have to adopt your own child. Yeah, that's, that's really one thing that, that straight people don't have to do, right? I mean, like, it, unless it's a unique situation, but yeah, typically straight people don't have to adopt their own child. And because of the adoption laws in place, only one parent will be recognized as the legal guardian of the of the child. And which means that the other parent will have no legal rights to the kid. So, but the most immediate problem will be that you, you're basically raising the child in the eyes of the law, right, as a single parent. Mm. And then as a single parent, you know how there are less uh, reliefs and rebates uh, available. So that's already one huge disadvantage, right? And then you also have to worry about, oh, what if one day I pass away or if both me and my partner pass away, then what's going to happen to the child? And the other parent not having any legal rights to the kid means that if, let's say, I'm the biological mother, right, I, I, I adopted the child. I pass away. If I don't leave any instructions behind, right, then basically my partner and my child, they don't have any legal ties at all. And my partner cannot look after my child. Mm. Uh, so those things need to be stated in a will, like who's going to be the legal guardian of my child and all that. Fair, so, fair, so, fair. so some practicalities like, involved. Yeah, yeah, I get it, yeah, I get it. So that's, that's when a lot of the will planning comes in, you know, yeah, as, a, as, a, as a protection on the yeah. situation because there's no structural legal rights mm. to pass down, pass down, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Which is a very uh, yeah normative Thinking, idea. William, have you seen like, any of these cases before? Um, in terms of couples trying to raise yes, a family, correct. I think when it comes to property-wise, less so much so if you're in a private property segment because private is 
really free for all. You can yeah. do a three, lot four, of different five, things. Three, four, five, six people also can own one house uh, together, right? Yes. Uh, there is technically a, 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 <laughs> a formula a how okay, to okay, do it. Okay, okay. But all in all, the relationship-wise, you don't have to prove so much things. But when uh. you come to buying an HDB or forming a family unit, the housing policy in Singapore is very, very strict, right? There's just only a couple of uh, schemes that you can apply a property together. So I think for family unit, they have a public scheme where a parent can buy a property together with child's name but if the child is not you know legalized you know I don't know how they're going to actually acknowledge that relationship the other way obviously would be a fiance scheme where a couple a straight couple go ROM they can buy a property together and they enjoy a whole stream of, of grants but when it comes to single or LGBT people the scheme is very strict it's basically a single scheme or a joint single scheme and those come with that law of, you know, only coming in at 35 years old. You get half the grant that, you know, heterosexual get. And obviously, when it comes to the options that's available, you know, you only have very limited option you want to buy directly from HDB. If not, you just have to go to the resale market. So the whole strict policies on how family units are being formed actually governs how uh, we can buy property and raise family in, in that environment. Yeah, fair, fair. I think in Singapore, the housing part right, is a bit tighter, right? In a sense that, you know, if you already can financially afford the private housing, then that's a different discussion altogether, right? right? Yes, because that's a that one is the few discussion, that. right? That yes. one got a lot of pattern, we can do a lot of things, right? But for the HDB front, it's a bit strict. La. There's nothing much. But I think in the financial planning space, there are a lot of nuance, right? Whether is it when it comes to will, whether is it come to like beneficiary, denoting a lot of these things. There are some things to think about, right? Yeah, def definitely. I'm actually also a estate and succession planner. La. So that's why I can comment a little bit more on like estate planning for LGBTQ plus individuals. But as a LGBTQ plus individual, we tend to fall into vicious cycles more easily. Right, uh, along with other life problems we face with, lah, right? But one common one that I see uh, is when we come out to our parents and, and then the parents are like, you get out of my house right now. Is it still common today? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. I just heard one such story just yesterday only. Yeah, like the parents can't wait to get rid of the child, like, like get out of the house. Uh. So if, if your parents ask you to, to, to move out, and whether you're financially independent, stable uh, already or not, I mean, worse is if you're not, right? Then you end up being in this vicious cycle. I mean, what's the next thing you can do? Like, okay, you maybe you... you yeah, I, I think most people, the situation. first option is to rent a place. Because uh, I think we're still quite Asian. Uh, sometimes we don't like just want to ask for handouts, right? So, okay, I try to rent for as long as possible that I can. But then it means that the money that you put into your rental, it is into the down payment for your property. Yeah, so then private housing is basically kind of like, you just threw that out the window because your, all your down payment that could potentially go into buying a private property such that you have a property that you can call your own before age 35, that's not, not, not a feasible solution anymore. So then you just keep renting and then at some point, you're going to realise that your dream of owning a property just gets further and further away from you. You feel that. So someone's, I guess, like financial goals, like you can't really like reach it if you are forced to like rent like from the early age when you come out from uh, with parents and all that. Yeah. For sure. It definitely makes it more challenging. Mm. One important question is about, about family planning, right? It's the whole idea that uh, like what you were talking about, like the whole adopting everything. Can, can, actually, I'm quite curious, like, what is the cost of it? How much does it cost? to uh, actually get it done from like start to end start to hell yeah uh. like from the idea and then all the way the testing treatment everything do you, do you have a number that people can think about it's very expensive yeah that's yeah. why I, I want to know like what's the number like how much does it cost to have a kid well 
maybe not. She hasn't gone through it herself yet. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I have parents who, who tell me that, oh, the kid, uh, if they want to go to uni or whatever, they just go and loan from the bank. And then I also have parents who set aside like half a meal just for one kid to go overseas to study. So that's why I say that, okay, that figure can vary quite a bit. But I'll say like, you know, like probably if you want to raise a kid like comfortably, maybe I just go by like a, can I, can I just go by like a joint income kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah go, go I think it. it's comfortably, right? I think around 15k joint income per month yeah, will be like a comfortable amount to raise a kid in Singapore. Uh, but but actually getting the kid leh? Well, actually getting like, a kid, like, that, that, that itself. Uh, the kid popping out in front of you, how much will that cost? Yeah, so if you want to go through that cycle itself, yes. right? Like one of one IVF cycle, right? It's already about twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand. Yeah, and there's no guarantee uh, that you will. Okay. Yeah, it will be successful, uh, Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So that's only the IVF portion. Yes, correct. Okay, so yeah. if you add everything up, yes, that's why for me, right? If a same-sex couple decides to have a child, it is very purposeful. It is very conscious. Like, why would I go through all that to, like, give birth to this baby and then not take good care of it and not want the best for, for the child? Mm. Yeah. So then from the insurance front, eh? like from the medical insurance front, are there certain things that, like, I pay the same kind of premium, but the straight guys will get this coverage and then I don't get certain things because of blah, blah, blah? I'll say no, no nothing too glaring, but... Uh, maybe talking about planning to have children as a same-sex couple. There's this thing called a prenatal insurance. So basically, it is to protect the mummy and the fetus. Yeah, even before the child is born. So that in case uh, anything happens to the child when the child is born, then some medical expenses will be taken care of. And um, one very big thing that is more important than, I mean, in my opinion, uh, that is more important than, you know, covering for the medical expenses uh, in case the, the kid is born with certain uh, congenital illnesses or there's some emergency that, that required medical attention, right? Is the ability to purchase a life insurance for the child without any medical underwriting. So this is kind of like a thing for prenatal insurance. But most of the insurance companies, yeah, they put a caveat saying that they will not cover fully if the baby is to IVF. And oh. if it's surrogacy, it's a complete like no-no. Oh, so surrogacy has no insurance coverage? like uh, the... For pre prenatal, for, okay, yeah, okay. at the beginning. Because insurance companies, they, they are not non-profit. So for them, it's a higher risk oh. per se. So, so they did caveat to say that they won't cover for surrogacy. Uh, IVF, they will still offer, but then they will discount your, your coverage. So then it's kind of like, do I even need this? And then, yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. Maybe we can wrap up a little bit, talk about, I guess, whether there's any big difference between being uh, from someone from an LGBT community and someone from a heteronormative community in terms of like financial savings or like housing or like career. And I guess like, do you have like a message to like people who are kind of like struggling a little bit in terms of like the financial aspects of it, housing, career, personal savings, retirement, I guess. So, yeah. yeah, okay. I would say, you know, if you're going through a very difficult time right now, trying to get a foothold on your finances, here's my encouragement to you. La. Don't fret about it. Sometimes it's situational and it's not your fault that you're in this position. But try to not look too much at the end result because every little thing that you do today will contribute to the end result. 
yeah, just looking at the end result itself can be quite daunting and scary. But you know, as long as you're doing something, that's good enough already. Yeah, so nice, keep going. Nice. So I'm going to take it from the housing angle. So basically, I think for people who are out there, especially LGBT community, if you are currently in a situation of, you know, rental, I would suggest that you really think about whether, you know, this rental is a needs or wants. Because, you know, rental can actually prevent you from building up the wealth to be able to buy your property in the future. But I understand that there's a lot of people who probably have no choice but have to move out. So think about, you know, maybe finding friends to, you know, co-rent places together, help you reduce the cost. And for the rest of you who are actually thinking of starting a home planning, you know, really start when you're young, you know, uh, as, as early as possible. Don't wait until you're 35 years old and then start talking to a housing agent about a property. Because a lot of time when I meet people out there, uh, when I do the calculation for them, you know, they thought that they could get a nice, decent loan, but they do not have enough cash or CPF accumulated. So by that time, it's a little bit too late. They need, might need to delay their plan. So I would really advise anyone out there, start as early as possible, you know, start talking to a banker, you know, you can call uh, LGBT-friendly personnel from Pryden or anyone of us to guide you through the process. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I let you plug, it's okay. You <laughs> 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 plug more, I send invoice already. No, 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 no. But I think, I think at the end, um, I, I, I like what uh, Jepin said, right? Essentially, is because there is no clear social markers of like, what's the milestones, next, next, next. So if you don't get that clear... You don't know what to do with finances, right? Because brings back down to what financial planning is is really about, right? So yeah, I hope that you find peace in your life and ultimately find a way of life that you love. Okay, thank you all. Thank, thank you, you so you. much. Woo! Thanks. Yes, thank you guys. <laughs> Bye.